Welcome to Beauties and Headcanons, where we're nerdy and you probably are too. I'm Lindsay. I'm here with Tegan as usual. And today we have a special guest, guest hosting um, this episode. Her name, well, you've heard her voice before. She is uh, one of my best friends and her name is Lindsay. Um, she last guest hosted on the Sailor Moon episode where we got to kind of geek out and talk about our childhoods. And now we're not going to really talk about our childhoods. We're going to talk about our adulthoods. Um, but for this episode, we're going to try and call her Susie as much as possible. Last time, we were a little confusing because we still called her Lindsay. And yeah, I call her anything except late for dinner. So um, we're going to do an episode today that um, I really am very excited about doing. So I completely forgot my name and what the episode was about. Uh, we're going to talk yeah, a bit so about Dungeons and, and Dragons. I am Lindsay. <laughs> I am Lindsay. You are Susie. Tegan's Tegan. And... Yes. Um... Yeah, we'll talk about like how this whole idea came from uh, throughout the whole episode. But first, um, Lindsay is going to introduce something for us. Uh, Susie. Oh, my okay. goodness. <laughs> yes. All right. Susie. So come with me. Let's play a little role-playing exercise. Tegan. Yes. Lindsay. You are nine years old, and you are enjoying your recess on a lovely spring day. It is pleasantly warm, and the sun is tucked away behind some cute little puffs of white clouds as a gentle breeze wafts over the playground. You decide this is a great chance to play a game of pretend with your best friend Susie and that one kind of weird kid that you don't normally play with, Kevin. <laughs> but it's such a nice day, and he doesn't seem to have anyone else to play with, so you're letting him join in too. A breathlessly excited Susie tells the group, Let's play superheroes! Yeah, I'll be Kevin Man! Uh, okay, well, uh, I'll be the bad guy, and you all need to work together to stop me. I'm the Dark Mistress Valgalorth, and if you pesky super squad don't give up and submit to me, I'll have no choice but to destroy this playground, ending recess as you know it forever! <laughs> Lindsay? Tegan, what do you do? We've got to work oh, together no. to stop her. <laughs> um, what are you we gonna do? Take me. I... What's your best shot? <laughs> well, I'm nine years old, and back when I when I was nine years old, we still had rocks and things uh, at the swing set. So I'm gonna pick up a couple of rocks, and I'm gonna threaten you with them. A um, lunch lady gives you the stare eyes popping oh. out of her head. She is furious. She's got her whistle at the ready. She's starting to walk towards the group. <laughs> you are not going to get away with this. And then I drop the rocks. And You don't even have superpowers, do you? Sure. I have um, great powers of 80s trivia. I could best you with. Ask me oh, anything man. about <laughs> 80s trivia. How are we going to do anything with that? Kevin Man uses lasers. Ooh. Pew, pew, right. pew. Ooh, you know what? I have telepathy. What I can do, I can put us all into a mind state so that Lindsay is controlling us with a game show of 80s trivia. So now yes. the villain has to play with us. If she wants to take over the playground. 
Nuh-uh, nuh-uh, Kevin Man's gonna steal your arcane power crystal, so now he has all the telepathy. Oh no! He's gonna use it to kill Lady Vulgalorth, and now you guys are trapped in his 80s trivia, and he's emperor of the playground! <laughs> so that didn't really go as well as we could have hoped. Uh... <laughs> If only there were a fairer way to play pretend with our friends, like if we had some sort of yes. balanced strengths and limitations for our characters that we agreed upon ahead of time, maybe mm -hmm. even an element of chance to make things more unpredictable and exciting. Oh wait, that would be a tabletop role-playing system like the original role-playing game Dungeons & Dragons, which for the last few years has been enjoying a new wave of popularity among nerds everywhere. I heard that you guys are interested in learning more about my terrible obsession, I mean hobby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I've, I've looked into, you know, Dungeons & Dragons, or I've tried to, like, a couple of times, and, like, there's, there's so much like it's oh yeah it's kind of overwhelming you know like especially when you have like no real background or context yeah. for it and like pretty much my closest association with it right now is watching videos of Baldur's Gate 3 mostly so that I can simp over Asterion okay. but yeah also <laughs> outside of the simping also you know I, I can watch you know some of the mechanics that do come up and I'm I, I kind of get like you know the roles and the um you know, stats and all of that, yeah. because that can also be kind of similar in some other RPGs that I've played, but it's, when you take it out of yeah, a game system... Yeah, not just the system, official Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. but most role-playing games take mm -hmm. a lot of their culture and everything, you know, the, the names of the statistics and everything, mm -hmm. from the original D&D. &D. Yeah. So you do kind of, through osmosis, pick up, I think, on oh, a yeah. lot of the culture of it, like... Dipping into it, for me, I just started playing two years ago, and it didn't feel completely foreign. Like, everything has an air of familiarity about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it, so yeah. traditionally, D&D &D would be played in person with one player taking the role of the dungeon master, sitting behind a little screen to conceal what they're doing, and they'll set up a scene, arbitrate the rules, basically control the whole world, the broader plot, and any and all non-player characters or NPCs. Then one or more, usually like three to seven players, will control their own personal player character or PC, and they'll interact with the world the DM is presenting them with, and the success or failure of most of their consequential actions will actually be determined by rolling a die, and then combining that with relevant statistics and abilities that are unique to that person's character that you know you set up ahead of time. Uh, the story and the setting can be okay. So how do I set up a character? <laughs> I want to know all the things. Let's go. Okay. Well. Okay. So what class yeah, no, do hold, you hold on. play? Because <laughs> I know like there's lots and lots of different um, classes. Um, I know I always joke, um, like whenever so I, yeah. like, like whenever I see like memes and stuff, I, I usually identify strongly with like a bard class or something like that. Cause I'm like, Oh, that just sounds like, that mm -hmm. sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> Honestly, I think just about any of them can be fun. It's just which ones like appeal the most yeah. to you and like what kind of stuff you want to do. 
No, if it gives any context to anybody out there, I am a vehement purple hawk when I play Dragon Age 2, and so that kind of disaster chaos is just kind of, but casual disaster chaos is kind of my aesthetic. Disaster chaos is kind of the name of the game, especially <laughs> Dragons, at least if you have friends and family like mine. Yeah. So, <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> But like a yeah, like a lot of the. So can you kind describe what the that. different classes are? I can. We we have your fighters. Fighters are the simplest class. They're great for beginners. They don't have a lot of magical abilities that you have to worry about. They're in there to do multiple strong attacks and be strong enough to survive getting up into melee range and whapping on the enemies. Or you can even optimize so they're really good at shooting from a little farther away. But, uh, yeah, that's a good, the most basic class. Like, that's what it originally started out with. You had your fighter, and then, like, just a general mage character, and that was about it. And that's just expanded from there. So now, instead of just regular fighters, we also have barbarians, who uh, are more specialized. They go into a rage. Uh, they generally don't use armor, and when they go into this rage, they're doing way more damage, and they have special defense abilities, and all of these, all of these classes have multiple subclasses that further tweak them so that you can get a lot more flavor and weird stuff. Like, you know, I'm, I'm currently cooking up my third and fourth characters, and I could probably cook up another five or six before I even started being like, oh, I don't know if there's anything I really feel like playing. There's <laughs> so much variety. Where it gets repetitive. Um, you, you have, yes, yeah, so you have your dexterity-based characters, which is like the rogue, which is your sneaky thief-type character that's really good at stealth and disarming traps and unlocking locks. Um, they generally do humble damage because they're using smaller weapons, but if they land a sneak attack, where once per round if they hit someone that they have advantage on or who is distracted by one of their allies, then they do massive damage and they can actually really wall up the enemies in a pinch. It's great. Oh yeah, crit hits. Um, Very familiar with rangers. crits. Yeah, you have your rangers who are kind of like a foresty type person usually someone who's very in touch with nature has lived off the lands a little but has been like hunting and fending for themselves so they have a touch of druidic natural magic that they can dip into uh, they can just do a couple things like finding traps and curing wounds and a couple of weird little I don't know they can make vines shoot up from the ground things like that <laughs> but they don't have a lot of spell slots um, but they do have some really cool subclasses that shake up how they play. Each, each one can be really different from another. And then you have your monks, which are martial artists. Uh, they don't have a lot of use for heavy weapons and armor because they pretty much are a deadly weapon. And they can dodge in their plain clothes better than most armor and shields could protect them. They don't have magic, but they do have key points that they can channel into their attacks, kind of powering them up and giving them special moves and hmm. cool things like that that you can really strategize with. Um, for intelligence, we start getting into spellcasters. We have your wizards, which is pure in a way the spellcaster. Uh, they use their high intelligence to study magic 
and they have access to the biggest set of spells. They get the most spell slots to cast the most spells overall every day. They're, you know, when you want to blow stuff up, <laughs> you want a wizard. Uh, then you have a newer class, which is the Artificers. They use their intelligence to harness magic in more practical ways. They engineer crazy gadgets to produce magical effects kind of for them. They get a lot less spells and a lot less spell slots than wizards do, but they have a lot of cool extra like steampunk features and really fun subclasses. So you can be a mad alchemist like I was, or you can pretty much be Iron oh. Man. <laughs> It's pretty fun. Uh, then you get to your your wisdom characters, and then you have the druids that are so in touch with nature they can bend the forces of nature to cast a pretty wide variety of spells with a decent number of spell slots. And they are so in touch with nature they can turn into all sorts of critters. They can turn into more and more powerful beasts as they level up. They're, it's fun. Again, a lot of versatility with the subclasses. Lots of different weird flavors. Um, then you have the clerics. They are so devoted to a deity that they are actually able to tap into that deity's divine magic and cast a reasonable amount of spells, including all the best healing spells. But also, um, there's a, a wide range of subclasses designed to fit any type of deity. You can be a cleric of an evil deity, or like a deity of storms and destruction and things like that. So they can get some cool offensive stuff. Uh, they do reasonable amounts of damage, even just wielding weapons. And they can wear full armor, and they can march right up into melee. They're not nearly as soft and squishy as clerics tend to be in other games, so they're kind of incentivizing like, hey, the group might need a healer. If you're the healer, you're probably going to have fun. <laughs> uh, then, then we have paladins, which is similar to a cleric. They're holy warriors that have dedicated themselves to a god and can use their divine power to like power up their uh, melee attacks as they smite down foes and they have a natural pool of healing touch power that can let them save their allies or just patch themselves up after they've really gone into the thick of it in a fight and just gotten completely clobbered which always happens to the poor paladin but you know they're another good versatile class uh, <laughs> I, I think you know, if, if you're a little bit nervous about having access to magic, Paladin's nice where you get a little bit of magic, but not overwhelming amounts. Mm. And then we have charisma-based magic. Now, in D&D, charisma is not just how likable and charming your character is, but it's described as, like, the force of their personality. So things like how forceful they are, how convincing, intimidating, inspiring, etc. play a role. Like, you can have, you know, an ugly, grumpy guy, but he's, like, so intimidating that everyone's just like, and he's got a high <laughs> charisma, technically. Uh, so we have hmm. sorcerers. A sorcerer is a natural magic user who's just so inherently wonderful, they're born with innate magic powers. Uh, their spell lists are a lot more limited than most of the other spellcasters, but who maybe worked harder for their magic. Not that I'm 
bitter or anything, but because of their natural talents, they also get a separate pool of sorcery points that let them tweak their magic as they use it. Like they can use sorcery points to make a spell hit two targets where it would have only hit one or to make their ally automatically pass a saving throw against the thing if they're making a big area of effect attack against a bunch of enemies, but also their two best friends. <laughs> um, mm. So yeah, they're cool. They're very strategic, I think. Then uh, we get your bards, as Tegan was mentioning. Mm -hmm. Bards have the magic of art. They can buff their allies through beautiful songs, sweet jazz solos, or inspirational poems. They can even cast a small variety of spells to harm their enemies or help their allies with only the art of the dance. Very fun. Uh, a lot of times the bard players are the life of the party. <laughs> <laughs> Things get crazy when you get bards involved. It's great. Uh, and then last but not least, we have the warlocks. Warlocks are so cool that they have convinced a super powerful patron to bestow them with magic powers in exchange for their unquestioning loyalty and service. Which means your dungeon master now has a super powerful NPC that can demand you to do things at once or take away your magic powers. Ooh. In exchange oh for this risky bargain, warlocks get a limited selection of fairly powerful spells and a limited number of spell slots, but unlike all the other casters that need a full night's sleep to refresh their spell slots, they only need to take a little rest for an hour, and they are back in business. So if your party is pacing, pacing themselves on a busy day full of lots of little fights, a warlock might actually be able to do considerably more magical damage than a wizard of the same level, mm -hmm. and they're also a bit hardier physically, so they're not as squishy. But yeah. Hmm. We've got a lot of options okay, already, so and we've only <laughs> talked about the main classes, not even the subclasses. Right. But how do I know, like, all of the benefits of the different races? Like, is there a starter kit or a, you know, like, let's say I'm going to be, I want to start playing a game. What do I, what do I do, like, step the one? The player's handbook is going to have almost all of the uh, classes ready for you. The Artificer was actually added a little later, so that's not in the main player's handbook. You have to get an extra book for that. But you, I mean, all of it's available online if you really want to just, you know, look up, get an idea of, like, what appeals to you. You can, you can research for days. I've got tabs on tabs on tabs. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay, so then obviously a starter kit's gonna have like a bag of dye in it. Um, and yeah, they do make a little starter set and... that has uh, your set of seven die that you need to play the game. Um, you can also get dice separately, and you can also get the books separately. I'm not sure 100% if every D&D starter kit comes with a full player's handbook or if it's something a little watered down for beginners. Mm. Um, the, the full player's handbook is a small textbook. It's like what we used to get for science textbooks in like junior high. Kind <laughs> okay. Of deal. Yeah. Which is fun. and then um, they're all they're all about the same so, size. So we don't have to talk about um, races yet. Um, what about um, you wanted to say something about how uh, D and D has changed um, with the pandemic? I I feel like 
I feel like lots of people got into D and D because they like missed uh, their childhoods in a way, and from uh, Stranger Things because Will and Mike and and the boys were always playing D and D. Yeah, that's definitely played a part in it, and then also the success of actual play shows like Critical Role and Dimension Twenty. I think a lot of people started watching those, maybe you know, not intending to get into playing Dungeons and Dragons, but once they realized, hey, I've spent 30 hours watching other people play Dungeons and Dragons, maybe I <laughs> right. can play it too. Yeah. Oh, Critical Role, is that a podcast or a show? Because I thought it was a podcast. Critical Role is, it's a YouTube show, but also oh, okay. I believe they release it as just an audio-only podcast. If, if you want, though, I mean, you can watch okay. the actual video of all the people and see their reactions and stuff, which is fun. I think it's fun to see, like, the facial expressions of yeah. people and everything, too. But I listen to audio-only D&D podcasts, too, so it's all right. good. Well, and see, like, I was listening, so I was much listening to that podcast, and the first one was an hour and a half of just, like, literally they take an hour and a half just to to knock down a, a group of bandits like it it takes that long mm-hmm. to to knock all these yeah. kids out um yeah the combat's so, so i was like looking at every round is technically six seconds but good luck if if everyone's gonna get through describing what their character does in their six second chunk right. of time yeah. in like <laughs> five minutes each you know yeah um, but then I was noticing, like, the Critical Role podcast um, episodes, each one's, like, three and a half hours. And I'm like, mm, mm-hmm. uh, am I going to – how how invested yeah, I don't am know I going to be in after seven it. hours? <laughs> right. Yeah. A, a, lot of, a lot of podcasts and shows and stuff, they will edit down <laughs> some of the debating over what to do kind of moments and stuff and, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. make it a little more concise and punchy. And I think others just – here, here's this is what we did for four hours. What join us? <laughs> so, right. You know, it's it's more of the authentic experience when you're playing it yourself. You the sessions do usually last two to four, two to five hours. But mm-hmm. okay. And then how has that changed with the pandemic? From um, obviously tabletop gaming has changed tremendously um, in the past year. Yes. Yeah. Well. I mean, this has been something that's, you know, technology has come along and made everything a little more flexible. We've got uh, virtual character builders and digital game references on dndbeyond.com people use now. We've got fan wikis. We can look up decades of in-game lore for all the official campaign settings. And we've had virtual tabletops that can show tokens on gridded maps and help everyone roll virtual dice on websites like Roll20.net and through programs like Fantasy Grounds and Tabletop Simulator. But, you know, those have been around for years, but now they've gotten a lot more popular because a lot of people who normally have no problem playing in person... (laughs) are having to go virtual for safety reasons uh sure but you know we've got so many options now for text and voice and video communications that you can use to to play so even if you can't get together at least you can you know have some social activity it's it's been a lifeline i think for a lot of people like me during the pandemic and just want to do something with people that don't live with them (laughs) 
Oh, sure. Right. Okay, so so do you feel like do you feel like anything about uh, D&D, especially like in person, is going to go back to in person? Um, is it better this way? Um, being able to use like Discord and um, kind of like well, being able to zoom here, into... Here's the thing. I think it's nice for accessibility because a lot of people don't have local friends that they can easily get together or maybe they have local friends that they can get together, but if they're getting together in person, they might be able to get together once a month, but if they can have the flexibility to play online, maybe they could play three or four times a month. So, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, for example, during the pandemic, I started up a game with my husband's family in Canada. So, you know, there's a two-hour time difference, but we're having so much fun playing across the continent, you know? Right. And Are you the dungeon I, master I for that continue. one, just out of curiosity? No, my, my, my baby brother-in-law is. <laughs> <laughs> I, have not, I have not started dungeon mastering yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on homebrew, making up my own Ooh, campaign. That sounds interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what does that mean? Sorry. What does home uh, mean? Basically coming up with your own story. Um, so what I want to do is keep everything in the same setting as the official uh, Wizards of the Coast, the people that publish Dungeons & Dragons. They also publish pre-designed campaign okay. modules that have, you know, this is the town you're starting in, and this NPC is reaching out to the characters and trying to get them to do this, and this NPC is trying to stop them by doing this, and etc 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 lays everything kind of out as well as you can knowing that you're going to be playing with a bunch of weirdos who are going to throw you curveballs any chance that they can get <laughs> you know so many times ted's just like oh, of course you guys would want to do that okay <laughs> you know? that's just how it is so i want to keep it in the same world that we've already been playing in but i want to you know explore kind of a middle of nowhere area where i can make up my own town with my own characters and my own plot line Ooh, okay okay yeah. yeah and some people do everything from scratch they will create their own pantheon in their own you know continents they'll draw maps of everything they will name the country they will develop a political system i don't want to <laughs> all of that that's a lot so you know i feel like i would want to support somebody who's like able to to be that creative and that like improvisational as well like i definitely yeah. don't think i'm as uh creative as all that but i want to support anyone who would no who would, oh my gosh would that, be that that's creative. why i'm i'm so so impressed by some of the actual play shows because a lot of them are doing most of it themselves you know creating their own worlds and it's just so amazingly compelling and a lot of times they have even just the player characters are such compelling characters you know i've cried over these shows <laughs> like, like i don't know these people and the people that i'm crying over that they're playing aren't real but it's it gets aren't yeah. real right yeah yeah Okay, so let's also talk about then um, races because if there's a map of these places, there's got to be different groups of people, right? And you've heard, I've, I've heard people being halflings or humans or elves or. So oh, yeah. is there like a long list of those too? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, as far as races go, there's a lot of options. You start with your basic Tolkien esque staples. You've got your humans, you've got elves dwarves, 
halflings, which used, originally were called hobbits in the first edition right, of right. D&D, Tolkien Estate kind of put the kibosh on that, and now it's, it's halflings. Uh, plus, they've got extra options like half-elves, they have gnomes, they have dragonborn, which are kind of big draconic humanoids. They have tieflings, who are just usually humans, but anyone that has some kind of devilish heritage that manifests Ooh. through some weird little traits, like they might have horns or oddly colored skin, <gasps> no pupils, oh tails, things like that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds and like And then me. also, like, they'll have <laughs> some innate devilish magical abilities. Um, okay. As, as far as affecting your statistics and everything, humans are, are versatile, so they'll have a plus one to all stats. And mm. but they're one of the only playable races that doesn't have dark vision. Everyone else can see in the dark, and humans are just bumping around blind without a torch. So, of course, you know. yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, elves, elves <laughs> live for centuries, and they don't have to sleep for eight hours. They just trance for four hours, so they make great lookouts. Oh dear. Um, you okay. Have, your halflings are inherently lucky. So if a halfling rolls a natural one on any kind of roll to attack or to investigate something or to lie to someone, they get to re-roll that one and possibly do much, much better. Okay. So, you know, it's oh, just cool. these little tweaks. I, I feel like none of the racial bonuses are so consequential that you really need to worry about them that much. Mm -hmm. And they actually just became kind of even less consequential because the latest book, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, released new official rules that let you tweak what your racial bonuses are a little more. It makes it more flexible, kind of acknowledges that every individual is a special snowflake and there's no one-size-fits-all way to be an elf so you know i mean that's kind of a cool sign of the times though isn't it yeah I, I, yeah Tegan and i have been talking so much about uh, social political stuff um when you know a year ago mm -hmm. we weren't at all talking about social political stuff so i feel like yeah. every episode we have there's there's something there's we can something. touch on where we talk <laughs> yeah. about yeah. um how like uh, how art imitates life and vice versa and uh, even yes. that's no different yeah yeah like yeah. I, I know they're, I they're trying to kind of walk back towards like yeah. from yeah half orcs or dark elves are tend mm -hmm. to be more likely to be evil you know yeah like, oh yeah. maybe let's push back on that a little. <laughs> maybe oh, yeah and it's, it's more about circumstance than anything yeah it's it's good i think to kind of you know examine these things and see where this is coming from and you know how to make it a little better i know i did uh see a thread on twitter i think last week or so so kind of timely um talking about um some D, &D things it, it was actually an offshoot from a question thread but um basically the gist was that you know they wanted uh, the person wanted to basically more or less get rid of racial bonuses and look more towards classes because, you know, really, if you yeah. think about it, when you study something, like say, if you go to school and you are studying for a degree, obviously you're going to be focusing on certain things and bettering yourself. Or if you say yeah. are going to be a professional athlete, then you're going to be, you know, working out and building up your stamina and your core and everything like that. So you're naturally going to develop these advantages yourself no matter what yeah. you know your physical circumstances are so it makes more sense to focus more on class than 
actual oh, race. Yeah. So I, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. Again, like not being super into and super knowledgeable of D and I still have like friends, and so like I'm kind of like on the fringe, and so I get like little little bits and pieces here and there. Yeah. There, there's still people that will try to like min max the absolute optimal combination of oh, yeah. you know this race's bonuses with this class's you know features and everything to make the perfect killing machine, but the <laughs> the bonuses with the races are so minuscule that I feel like really it just you look at the flavor of the race like is that something I want to play and mm-hmm. you play that you know and. Just you, you smash it all together and make it work. You're not gonna make a broken character that's completely unplayable because you wanted to be a giant eagle man instead of a half elf. You know, yeah. <laughs> like do do you? You just you do you. There's, think... Yeah, there's so many more options. I can't even get into all of them. There's probably like a couple dozen different like monster humanoid races you can be now. I've I've played a kobold. I want to play a lizard folk next. <laughs> I like being yeah that creatures <laughs> that I know. I think was one of the things that the devs for Baldur's Gate three really went ham on was the character creator because mm-hmm. they set out and gave players so many options as far as like yes. you know what their PC could look like and like they yeah. were they're they actually like, still add a new race oh every yeah. Week. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, I mean, technically it's still in early access. They haven't actually released the full game oh, yeah, yet. So they're still... Done, what, like three or four classes. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're they're still even working on it. But it even so, like, mm-hmm. even in that early access, I was looking through some of these options. Like, wow, this is, this is a lot. Like, I kind of want to get my hands on it. <laughs> but my computer will not, yeah. absolutely will not work with it. So, <sighs> maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next question. Um, what about alignments? Are alignments still a thing? Alignments are still a thing. They're they're kind of like a characteristic feature of D&D from yay olden times, but in the current edition, it's not really as prominent of a part of the play. Basically, you have two axes. You have law versus chaos, and you have good versus evil. Lawful characters tend to believe in following some kind of rules. They have like a strict moral code of, of honesty, uh, but they're, they're maybe more closed-mindedly rigid in their obedience to whatever authorities they're loyal to. Uh, they can be really judgmental of people who aren't following their rules. Uh, a chaotic character believes above all else, do whatever you want. Uh, they often have an uncontrollable rebellious streak. A lot of rogues are chaotic. A lot of bards are chaotic, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, that fits. But, <laughs> Honestly, um, that tracks. Yeah. Neutrals will just kind of strike a balance and be flexible about things, kind of reasonable. Like, they're not going to break laws just for the sake of breaking laws, but they're also not going to just follow laws that they find unjust. You know. Neutral. Makes sense. Uh... I, I would say that that alignment has kind of been watered down a lot, and now it can mean something as simple as whether that character has just their own personal code of how to act or not, you know, if they're just winging it. Okay. So it's not a big deal anymore. <laughs> uh, for good versus evil, 
Uh, good characters are going to try to be altruistic and helpful wherever possible. They'll, they're willing to make sacrifices to help others with no promise of personal gain. Evil characters either have no solid empathy for others and will happily trample all over other people just to get whatever they want without much regret. Or they may actively seek to harm others just for fun. That can be their personal gain. It's just, haha, I've, I've hurt you. Uh, neutral characters, they are generally just people that wouldn't try to hurt innocents unnecessarily, but they might not put themselves out to help someone with no real promise of personal gain if it's someone they don't know, have no personal ties to. Meh. I, I'd say most yeah. players are going to fall into the good or neutral range because it is hard to keep a truly evil character working with the group through an entire campaign. Yeah. Maybe if you're doing a one-shot, you could be like, hey, this evil guy needs to work with these guys so that in the end he can get whatever gem he needs for his final destruction. And then the next one-shot can be the other characters teaming up to attack him and take him down. Whatever, but, you know. Yeah, it's G Generally, I, I think anyone can argue that alignments should be a broad spectrum that shifts throughout mm -hmm. your life. And that the neutral neutral or true neutral is probably the most honest, accurate alignment for most characters. Oh yeah, that you makes know. sense. Because, you know, you experience things and you learn and you grow. And that's true for us as humans, yeah. at least in most cases, I think. So I think that should be true for player yeah, characters as well. There's a couple spells and items that sometimes have an effect on the alignment. But I think... Mm just generally you can see that most of the stuff has moved away from that being a big factor interesting cool um anything else we definitely need to have answered or that you wanted to make sure you were able to say um the only other part about character creation we haven't talked about is the background feature oh yeah um yeah so oh. I, th I believe it's new in 5th edition, forgive me if I'm wrong, I'm, I've only played 5th edition, but uh, basically the background feature is something that describes how your character came to be an adventurer of whatever class they are at like level 1. So you could have a hermit background that led you to commune with nature and become a druid, or live off the land and become a ranger, or you could be a cloistered scholar who became a wizard. Or maybe they dropped out of school and had to sell themselves to a patron and now they're a <laughs> warlock. You know? <laughs> the the each each background it comes with like little tweaks, different starting equipment, you might have more or less money to start with, you might have like a a cool little ability. Like I was a far traveler once and one of my things was that, you know, I was such a weirdo from so far away that wherever I was people would look at me and be like, huh? So I would get like more more attention on me from from being, I, I was a little, a kobold, a, a little dragon type person that you normally wouldn't see hanging around a civilized big right. metropolis area. That makes sense, So yeah. <laughs> again, logistically, doesn't make a huge difference. If you're trying to psychotically match your background to optimize with your race and your class, you're doing it wrong. I think you need to just pick a background that inspires a, a feasible backstory for your character. That makes sense. 
That makes sense. It kind of almost reminds me of one of the alternate start mods that I've played with for Skyrim, where instead of going through the whole typical introduction, you can choose to start at different places. You can start at an inn. You can start with basically the beginning of one of the factions or basically, you know, skipping over the first introductory quest for them and you're already a part of them. Um, You can be a homeowner. You can have, like, basically already own a home. That makes the experience more unique. Yeah. yeah, and so then you actually will start out with different things, different equipment. You can even do, like, you know, you're shipwrecked, or you start out in the middle of nowhere with nothing. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, it is yeah. kind of cool to kind of play around with that. So I, I definitely see, you know, different influences from that being present in other games, whether, like, officially or modded or what have you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, yes. And any class uh, background... Uh, race, all of these, it all has, besides all the new features that they're constantly coming out with, adding more and more options, people on the internet will homebrew stuff and release that for people to choose from. So if if you're not happy with your endless buffet of options, you've got <laughs> way more you can choose from as long as you and your DM have agreed upon, like, okay, this is allowed. This is fair and balanced. We can use this, mm-hmm. you know. Cool. So basically, I've got this starter set in my Amazon cart, is what we're saying. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you like it. Go for it. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I think even if you didn't play, I think it's interesting to read and stuff. And I don't, again, I haven't seen the starter set materials, but I know that it comes with like a little adventure I think the Lost Minds of Vandelver and I I think that's an interesting little module that started off the podcast The Adventure Zone and they just kind of spun off from there a lot of campaigns spin off from this little mini adventure and end up building into something really epic and I think that's pretty cool and just reading about all the race and stuff it's cool it's it's not like a I I keep calling them little textbooks but it's not like they're boring textbooks they're fun and interesting they're They're, very nerdy they're like lore books yeah they're beautiful and I think they're really well laid out and everything just very very good work awesome well first I want to say thank you very much um Susie for uh, guest hosting with us. It was, as always, very great to have you and to hear you talk about something that you've been so passionate about. Um, Yes. (laughs) And Tegan, if you don't have anything else to say. Uh, um, I think I'm good. Yeah. So thank you very much. Um, If you uh, listeners would ever want to have any questions or, I don't know, start a campaign with me, um, being able to laugh hysterically because I have no idea what I'm doing. That would be fantastic. Um, and I don't know, maybe Susie someday will let me play with her too. Um, you know, yeah. being 35 and, and saying that sounds really ridiculous, but in a, in the best of ways. Um, and with that, I, mean, hey. uh, I yeah, play with so my mother in law. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I know. I know. You're never too old for Dungeons and Dragons. You're never too old. (laughs) Exactly. All right. I'm Lindsay. That's Tegan. That's Susie. Okay. And thanks for getting nerdy with us this week on Beauties and Headcanons. (laughs) 